If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 470. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter. Like my Facebook page and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all of those accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. This is B-R-I-O-N. McClanahan.com or at Brian McClanahan. While you're at BrianMcClanahan.com, though, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, and a free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahan Academy, Learn True, T R U E, LearnTrueHistory.com. All kinds of great material at both of those sites. I've got a new class. If you're listening to this, it's the end of the week. We're here at July 1st. If you're at McClanahan Academy, you know about the new class now because. It should be out at this point. If it's not out just yet, it will be in the day or so. So anyways, July 1st, here we are. We've turned the corner. We're at July. And, uh, I mean, we've got a great show today. We had a great week this week. Again, Think Locally, Act Locally Week. Uh, Listener-generated episodes. If you want to hear something, send me your requests. Rate this podcast wherever you get podcasts. Let people know you're listening to it. So let's talk about the topic of the day. And it's a Glenn Greenwald piece that he published through his email list at Substack. Um, Substack's a really great way to communicate with people. Um, It's uh, revolutionizing the way that people think about email and, of course, blog posting and other things, but um, it's a nice way to do it. But I want to focus on this piece by Greenwald. And first of all, Greenwald has always been solid on uh, presidential powers, and civil liberties. He was critical of the Bush administration, and rightly so. He's critical of the Obama administration and the Trump administration, particularly when it comes to foreign policy. And this particular piece is just fantastic because I think he gets right to the heart of what's going on in the Obama administration. The last episode we talked about with the Justice Department, Biden's interest on the Second Amendment, all of these things put together show you what the United States government is trying to do. And essentially what it's trying to do is we're going back to 1798 and they are trying to crush political dissent. You see, by keeping people off of Facebook, by keeping people off of Twitter, and we know that those organizations, Twitter, Facebook, Big Tech, Google, they're all working with, in concert with the general government to knock down conservative and libertarian voices. We know they're doing it because they've admitted it. We know they have a political agenda because they've admitted that. We know that they are behind censorship because they've admitted they do it. So when you have that kind of control over speech in America, that's dangerous. And then when you put the muscle of the general government behind it, during the Trump administration, at least there wasn't any of, I mean, some pressure there. But now you've got uh, Mark Miley who is the chairman of the general uh, joint chiefs uh, US chairman of the joint chiefs of staff saying that um, 
domestic terrorism, essentially right-wing domestic terrorism, is the greatest threat to American security. This is what Joe Biden has said. Well, Miley's doubling down on it. He's doubling down on it. And this is now putting the U.S. military at odds with about half of the American population. Think about how dangerous that actually is. What, and this is where we talked about the piece on Monday on federalism. Think about what's happening here. You're saying the general government, which is only about half the population, has the support of about half the population, is saying that the other half of the population is dangerous and has to be dealt with. And that anyone who opposes critical race theory or uh, any type of left-wing social agenda is a white supremacist terrorist. This is what they're saying. I mean, anybody... I mean, this is just lunacy. It's, it's stupidity of the highest level. But this is what they're doing. And I think Greenwald's piece here is certainly on point when it comes to that. He says, what, about, what is behind General Mark Miley's righteous grace sermon? Look to the new domestic war on terror. And Greenwald was suspicious of the Patriot Act because he thought it was going to lead to more domestic surveillance greater problems for American citizens, and he was right. I mean, we're all being watched at all times now. This is, this is 1984 stuff. Um, so, But anybody that simply just says, look, I, I don't like this stuff. Well, oh my gosh, you are a domestic terrorist now. If you have a protest, you're a domestic terrorist. I mean, this is where we are in 2021. It's dangerous. So Greenwald says, for, over, for 240 years, American generals have not exactly been defined by adamant public advocacy for left-wing cultural dogma. Yet there appeared to be a great awakening at the Pentagon on Wednesday when General Mark Miley, the highest-ranking military officer in the U.S. as chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, testified at a House hearing. The chairman vehemently defended the teaching of critical race theory at West Point and, referencing the January 6th Capitol riot, said, it is important that we train and we understand, and I want to understand white rage. And I'm white. Now, what's interesting about this is that you, Greenwald's position that the military has not been part of left-wing cultural dogma. Yet, the military does do certain things. And this is part of Ty Sigley and the renaming of Confederate bases and all the stuff that's going on right now. The military certainly was part of a public policy of left-wing cultural dogma, and that was the Republican Party. They were the, they were the enforcement arm of the Republican Party for a couple of decades in America. And then you get to make the world safer democracy, and you get all the social engineering that goes on in the military. It happens all the time. I think this is a little naive to say the military hasn't been part of this stuff. It is. It certainly is. In response to conservative criticisms that top military officials should not be weighing in on inflammatory and polarizing cultural debates, liberals were ecstatic to have found such an empathetic, racially aware, and humanitarian general sitting atop the U.S. imperial war machine. Overnight, General Miley became a new hero for U.S. liberalism, a noble military leader which, like former FBI Director Robert Mueller before him, no patriotic, decent American would question, let alone mock. Some prominent liberal uh, commentators I'm sorry, warned that conservatives are now anti-military and even seek to defund the Pentagon. Well, that would be great. Let, let, I mean, yeah, let's cut the budget of the U.S. military. That would be fantastic. You see, this is the game we're playing now. Oh, it's the gotcha game that I talked about on Monday, which I think the piece at American Greatness got it right. 
the left is going to say, oh, you don't really support the police because you voted against the bill that would funded the police. But there was all the other stuff in the bill that caused problems. Or you want to defund the Pentagon. Uh, See, so you're really not pro-military. We're pro-military because we like the Pentagon because we're supporting General Miley. Yep, but if, if General Miley had said something else, then we want to defund the Pentagon. It, it all comes down to politics. It's all stupid. The Pentagon should be defunded because it's a supreme waste of money, number one. I mean, imagine if you could cut federal spending to a point that it was sustainable. How much money would be released into the private sector? You could cut taxes even more. You could do all kinds of things. You could not have inflation as we're having it now. If you just cut spending. You just cut spending. But no. Uh, So when someone like uh, AOC says that she wants to cut funding for the military, I'm, I'm in agreement. We don't have the money for it, right? We spend more on, uh, the top, I think, the next 10 countries combined for the United States military. General Miley shouldn't have any influence at all over anything. The man should be irrelevant. The military, outside of civilian control, is dangerous. It is, of course, possible that top brass of the U.S. military suddenly become supremely enlightened on questions of racial strife and racial identity in the U.S., and thus genuinely embrace theories that, until very recently, were the exclusive province of left-wing scholars at elite academic institutions. Given all that U.S. wars in the post-World War II area have been directed at predominantly non-white countries, which, like all wars, required a sustained demonization campaign of the enemy populations, having top Pentagon officials become leading anti-racism warriors would be quite a remarkable transformation indeed. But strange things have happened, I suppose. So, I mean, look, this is true. Uh, the wars of empire have all been directed at virtually non-white, non-European countries. Uh, this is something I wrote, and if you follow my Abbeville Institute podcast, or the Abbeville Institute podcast, I should say, which is every Friday, Friday and Saturday, that comes out. I wrote a piece for Abbeville Institute this week on that, right? How um, the current attack on the U.S. flag, this is nothing new, been happening for years, and people have questioned how grand that flag actually is uh, when it does things like go out and conquer other countries. But, Greenwald says, perhaps there is another explanation other than righteous, earnest transformation as to why the top U.S. general has suddenly expressed such keen interest in studying and exploring white rage. Note that General Miley's justification for the military's sudden immersion in the study of modern race theories is the January 6th Capitol riot, which in the lexicon of the U.S. security state and American liberalism is called the insurrection. Yes, it's not really an insurrection. You had grandmas walking around taking selfies. It's not much of an insurrection. I mean, uh, it's not the storming of the Bastille, right? Nobody was being marched out and piked to death and then with their heads lopped off. I mean, this is that's a real insurrection. This was people putting their feet on a desk and walking off with a podium, waving like, hey, how's it going? I mean, a bunch of doofuses, right? Walking in with a buffalo hat on and saying, yeah, and sitting down in the chair, I'm here. It's not much of an insurrection at all. So, I mean, but we we get to the heart of it because the left has decided that's an insurrection. And, And half the American public doesn't buy it. They don't buy it at all. They know this is a political attack. When when Vladimir Putin stood up and and trolled the U.S. Mili- U.S. media, I mean, look, they asked a very poignant question. 
Putin is no, no saint. And of course, the Russians are notorious for jailing political opponents as well. But he said, what's the difference in what I'm doing and what the Democrats are doing right now? No difference. And I agree. There is no difference. We shouldn't jail any political opponents. This is exactly what's happening with the U.S. government. They're jailing political opponents. You've got the FBI, you've got the FBI and you've got Internet sleuths who have nothing to do. These losers who sit in their basement trying to figure out who was at the January 6th event there in D.C. I mean, these people must have nothing, must have no life to sit around and do this stuff. Who cares? Who actually cares? This is a Wiley, I'm sorry, a Miley, Wiley Miley. This is a Miley quote. What is that that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America? Who did that? Who was trying to overturn the Constitution? In fact, what they were arguing is that Biden's election was illegal. They were trying to enforce the Constitution, if you want to get technical about it. They weren't trying to overturn the Constitution of the United States of America. They were trying to enforce it. What caused that? I want to find that out. I want to maintain an open mind here, and I don't want to, and I do want, I'm sorry, I do want to analyze it. So to Miley, it's all about race. This is what the left says. It's all about race. It's all, the only reason these people were there. But I looked at that audience, and there were a lot of people that you could say were not uh, not white. I mean, in that in that group. I mean, there were people that weren't white there. So if, is it about race to them? We know there were others involved that were, and this is where Tucker Carlson has now raised a lot of liberal angst because he thought that maybe there were some FBI plants. We know the FBI does this stuff. Uh, we know that there were leftist plants there. We know people were all kinds of people were there trying to disrupt things. The post-World War II military posture of the U.S. has been endless war. To enable that, there must always be an existential threat, a new and fresh enemy that can scare a large enough portion of the population with sufficient intensity to make them accept, even plead for, greater military spending, surveillance powers, and continuation of permanent war footing. Starting, uh, staring in that ju- war-justifying role of villain have been the communists, Al-Qaeda, ISIS, Russia, and an assortment of other fleeting foreign threats. This is That paragraph is 100% true. We have never left a war footing since World War II. And the U.S. military knows that it exists only because, and their paychecks are dependent upon, continued wars. Now, when the Civil War was over, you saw some of this. You saw people essentially trying to hang on in the military so they could get a paycheck because it was better than anything else they could do. What are all these people are going to do that are in the military? That A lot of them sign up just because they do it for a paycheck. They get a bounty to go join up. Then they get a paycheck and they get these things. So what are they going to do if they can't do that anymore? I mean, what is their job, right? So this is a big, expansive government aid program to a lot of people, right? So if you cut that, well, that means a lot of jobs are lost. So they're going to protect themselves, and they're going to protect themselves because we know we saw the expansion of the military after World War II. Now we had the Soviets to worry about. So you keep all these people with something to do. Busy bodies, they got something to do. They got something to, somewhere to go, got training to do, these kind of things. You got to have all this stuff out there. Truman was supposed to demobilize. He didn't. He just transferred it over into other things. So this is what Eisenhower was talking about, the military-industrial complex. It provides jobs, and it provides uh, cover for what they need to do. It, it backs them. A 
According to the Pentagon, the U.S. intelligence community, and President Joe Biden, none of those is the greatest national security threat to the United States any longer. Not communists, not, I mean, we could say communists still are, not, not foreign terrorists. Instead, they all say explicitly and in unison, the gravest menace to American national security is now domestic in nature. Specifically, it is domestic extremists in general and far white white supremacist groups in particular that now pose the greatest threat to the safety of the homeland and of the people who reside in it. Is this true? Of course it's not true. I mean, look, who, who has been the most violent and destructive group in the history of the world? It's not the right, it's the left. And I've done podcast, several episodes on this. It is the left. But I think Greenwald is pointing out here what's actually going on. They're demonizing their opponents so they can get more funding, so they can legitimize their situation and make it to where they get to crush these people. It's all about power. H.R. 1 is about power. Gun control is about power. This is about power. Packing the court is about power. The Democrats are now openly suggesting they want to control the government with no opposition ever. And if you're against them, you're an enemy of the state. This is essentially what they're doing. In other words, to justify the current domestic war on terror that has already provoked billions more in military spending and intensified domestic surveillance, the Pentagon must ratify the narrative that those they are fighting in order to defend the homeland are white supremacist domestic terrorists. That will not work if white supremacists are small in number or weak and isolated in their organizing capacities, capabilities, I should say, which is actually what they are. I mean, I don't know any of these people. I don't know anybody that's running around out there trying to have some white supremacist organization. This is all just stupid, right? I don't know any of these people. That, who does, right? Most Nobody knows these people. To serve the war machine's agenda, they must pose a grave, pervasive, and systemic threat. So what is that? It's the guy in the buffalo hat going in. And this is, this is the pervasive threat. Viewed through that lens, it makes perfect sense that General Miley is spouting the theories and viewpoints that underline underlie this war framework in which depicts white supremacy and white rage as a foundational threat to the American homeland. A new domestic war on terror against white supremacists and right-wing extremists is more, far more justifiable if, as General Miley strongly suggested, it was white rage that fueled an armed insurrection and that, in the words of President Biden, is the greatest assault on American democracy since the Civil War. And, of course, Greenwald has a little screenshot here from the New York Times saying this, right? Within that domestic war on terror framework, General Miley, by pontificating on race, is not providing cultural commentary, but military dogma. Just as it was central to the job of top Cold War general to embrace uh, theories depicting communism as a grave threat, and an equally central part of the job of a top general during the first war on terror to do the same for Muslim extremists, embracing theories of systemic racism and the perils posed to domestic order by white rage is absolutely necessary to justify the U.S. government's current posture about what war it is fighting and why that war is so imperative. Well, this is true. I mean, this is what the, the government has to do. And anytime you have the military involved in this, and right after the war, it was, it was evil Southerners and Reconstruction. They had to be reconstructed. And then when that's over, then you have you have to go after the Spanish and the Spanish-American War. And then uh, when that's over, then you have to go after the Huns and the Germans. And then when that's over, then you got to go after the Japs. And uh, you know this is the term the Japs they were using, and uh, and the Krauts and all. You got you got you got to use these 
these terms to demonize your opponents. And then it's, then it's the, uh, the Muslim extremists and whatever other terms you want to use to try to get these people. This is what they have to stoke the fears, right? The, the Reds, the commies. You've got to stoke the fears of people to get them to believe that it's necessary to have a large military police state, essentially. And look at what World War II did. It provided the apparatus for the FBI, the growth of the FBI and the CIA. You didn't have those things before that. None of this means that General Miley's offense of critical race theory and woke ideology is purely cynical and disingenuous. The U.S. military is a racially diverse institution, and just as is true for the CIA and FBI, endorsing modern-day theories of racial and gender diversity can be important for workplace cohesion and inspiring confidence and leadership. And many people in various sectors of American life have undergone radical changes in their speech, if not their belief system, over the last year. That is, after all, the purpose of the sustained nationwide protest movement that erupted in the wake of the killing of George Floyd, due either to conviction, fear, or loss of position, or both. I think a lot of it has to do with fear and loss of position. That's what people are worried about. One cannot reflexively discount the possibility that General Miley is among those whose views have changed as as the cultural climate shifted around him. But it is preposterously naive and deceitful to divorce General Miley's steadfast advocacy of racial theories from the current war strategy of the U.S. military that he leads. The Pentagon's prime targets, by their own statements, are sectors of the U.S. population that they regard as major threats to national security of the United States. Embracing theories that depict white rage and white supremacy as the sources of domestic instability and violence is not just consistent, but, but necessary for the advancement of that mission. Put another way, the doctrine of the U.S. intelligence and military community is based on race and ideology, and it should therefore be un- unsurprising that the worldview promoted by top generals is racialist in nature as well. I mean, this is 100% true. Look, the left sees everything through the lens of race, and that's why they're pushing this. And so because Miley is just reflecting what, the pen, what, what essentially the executive branch has told him to do. You don't do it, you lose your job. I'm sure there's been some discussions of that. Whatever else is true, it is creepy and tyrannical to try to place military leaders in their pronouncements about off, war off-limits from critique, dissent, and mockery. No healthy democracy allows military officials to be venerated to the point of residing above critique. That is especially true when their public decrees are central to the dangerous attempt to turn the war posture of the U.S. military inward to its own citizens. 100% true. This piece by Greenwald is very, very good. Um, And I think, again, it gets to the heart of what's happening. And if you look at um, the founding generation, one of the reasons why they feared a standing army, and particularly, they would be just shocked about how large the U.S. military is. Why do they fear it? Because they thought that it could be turned in on their own citizens. So the militia was preferable to that. The militia, which is controlled by the states, security of a free state, security, but citizens, armed citizens protecting themselves would not turn, would not be subject to some type of critical race theory wokeism and turn on their own people. I mean, this is why a standing army, look, the, the founding generation confronted that. In 1775, in 1774, in 1770, they confronted a standing army and what it could do and the threat that it posed to security, liberty, freedom, these type of things. They they confronted it all. And so I think that's what's going on here. The military has to justify itself 
It has to justify its existence. It has to provide cover for itself. And having a new boogeyman to go out there and fight for whatever that whoever that boogeyman is, I mean, this is what it has to do. And the Biden administration is certainly providing some of that by saying these, this group is the most dangerous threat to America. And, of course, now the military is backing that up. This is scary, in fact. When you think about this is about half the American population. They're demonizing and saying these people are all just so infatuated with rage and they just want to get somebody. It's not true. Most of them just want to be left alone. and They don't want to have some, other, some foreign idea coming from California or Massachusetts if you're in the South saying this is what you got to do. Or, I mean, if you're in a conservative area of California, the state government of California telling us what you have to do. Or, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. Florida, North Dakota, South Dakota, Pennsylvania, New York, Indiana, Ohio. It doesn't matter. They just don't want these people telling them what to do. Outside forces, uh, when you look at, you know, leftist intellectuals saying this is the right thing. People just don't want to hear that. Again, the whole point of, using the courts the way they do is because they can't win legislatively. So when they can't win legislatively, they use the courts to try to crush what they can't do legally, essentially. When I, when I say legally, I mean through the legislative process. they got to go extra legal uh, or extra legislative and work that way. All right. So, hope you enjoyed this week at the Brian McClanahan Show. If you want to catch me for a fifth podcast, head over to Abbeville Institute. You can get my podcast there. It's all things Southern. A little different than what I do here, but still a lot of fun. I'll see you next week on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.